Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Daou, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling podcast with your host, Sylvie Dao. And I'm really, really excited to have this lady on our podcast. Her name is Jackie McDonald. She's 90 years old. And she reached out to me to tell her story about women in sport. Now, the thing about Jackie, before we bring her out, is that she has been in competition of various sports since she was 15. So we are going to be talking about women in sport in the 40s and 50s, moving into um, when she started. Well, her sport was not cycling. However, she did migrate into cycling, and we're going to talk about that as well. But just super interested about her story in as a woman in the sport back then. She also has a book. Jackie, hold up your book. Uh, she wrote a memoir of Ladies Don't Do That, a memoir of an, an Olympian, and you can find this on Amazon. So Jackie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. This is really exciting. You're probably my oldest guest. I'm sure I am. <laughs> and you look fabulous, by the way. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm so excited. So let's get right into it. Um, I know we're not going to like dive like all into the like back in the 40s but let's just start about because well it's actually interesting because right now we're talking about women in the sport of cycling and equality and um having the same pay as men let's just start about your experience when you were 15 and early 20s in competition because you went to the pan am games you've been to the commonwealth games and you were olympian in 1956 so what was it back like back then okay right back i guess <laughs> there weren't many sports for girls and when i got into high school i thought oh great we can play basketball we can play volleyball isn't that great but it didn't take me too long to realize two things that the uh, basketball and volleyball weren't the regular rules, especially the basketball was girls' rules. Six to a team, you could bounce the ball once and you could go two thirds of the way down the, uh, the court. It was as though we poor delicate little creatures couldn't run all the way or something like that. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the year, I guess I was in third year high school, I was 15. And a friend of mine, I always loved swimming, one of my favorite things. And a friend of mine was in a swim club, so she 
uh, asked me to join. And she was also in a basketball team in the uh, community. There was a very good women's basketball league in Toronto and district at that time. So I got into those two sports. Now, one of my um, coaches also coached diving. So both Lois, my friend and I got him to teach us you know, to do some diving. And uh, that was my first medal with the Ontario Junior Diving Championship. So I wasn't, I never got anywhere very much with swimming, but I was a very good basketball player. And playing junior, I scored, uh, I set a new record of 38 points in one game. Wow. So well, and- like how many women were actively um, pursuing sports back then? Like, you know, well, it's not very like- many because the uh, go back, let's go back to high school. Um, there was a sort of philosophy of uh, girls and women regarding sports. And uh, the, a lot of this influence um, came from the United States. There was a very active a group of uh, American physical education teachers who wanted to make sports good, safe for girls, which is good. Mm-hmm. But they also had the idea that uh, girls weren't suited either physiologically or psychologically for sports that were very competitive or very, uh, um, well, I guess it took a great deal of effort. And this came into the high school, uh, certainly in uh, Toronto, and I think more in Ontario and Eastern Canada than out in Western Canada. For for instance, the girls had more sports in uh, Victoria. My husband's from Victoria, and he's amazed when I tell him about (laughs) high school in Toronto for girls. Anyway, uh, I guess I discovered that uh, we had, the boys had far more sports. If Hmm. they were competing in finals in uh, football or maybe some in uh, track and field, we had to go down and we were required to watch, you know, cheer on our brave boys. Oh. And <laughs> I didn't like sitting, watching. I was yeah, really. down there doing. Mm-hmm. So that, really? that was my high school experience. Um, I kept on trying to be a swimmer, but not getting anywhere. And someone in high school, not one of the women phys ed teachers, a male teacher, knowing I was a good athlete, uh, said, stopped me in the hall one day and said, Jackie, have you ever thought of doing the shot put in discus? I said, oh, no, I'm a swimmer. So if I had started then, I would have had about another four years to try it because it wasn't until I was 20 that I said, Jackie, you're not getting anywhere in swimming. Oh, Let's try something else. Yeah. So I called Lloyd Percival, the only name I knew. He was very well known as a coach and track coach at that time. And uh, he came out to see me. We had to meet in a public park because uh, most of the action in the running, jumping took place at Varsity Stadium, but there were no facilities for uh, throwing, never were during the time that I was competing. So I came out to a public park and uh, I think he must have seen some potential in me because- Big shoulders, big strapping back from like Well, I was, yes, I think I looked maybe like an athlete. I don't know if he had, I don't recall that he knew my name from the uh, newspapers because in basketball, the paper, our 
games were always reported. Anyway, that was 1953. And uh, my first or second meet, I won the Canadian championship. Now the, the standards weren't very high, but the next year, uh, 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games, I won a silver medal in the shot put. And uh, that was the first day of the games. The last day I was to throw the discus where I had a good chance, not of a first, but maybe a second or third. And I got myself into a whole lot of trouble because something that is hard to explain to people nowadays is that in those years, amateurism ruled. The amateur rules had to be obeyed. And uh, what, what are I, I amateur was, rules? Well, that you are don't, they can be very complex, but very simply that you do sports for the love of the sport, you don't get paid for it. Oh, okay. It's more complex than that. And it varies. Well, that's pretty sports, easy to understand. Anyhow, you don't advertise. <laughs> Still kind of like that a bit. Well, if you really look at the basis for it, it's class classes where gentlemen who didn't have to work didn't want to dirty themselves with workers, you know, uh, <laughs> uh. laborers and such. Anyhow, getting back to this, <laughs> um, I was scratched from the discus on suspicion of professionalism because- uh, What? Yes, <laughs> yes. You were just <laughs> that good? Well, Don't bring her out here. Fun. She'll take you first. You know, we were uh, the athletes. Vancouver. The games were in Vancouver, and the city was just delighted with this. And we were invited to all sorts of things. Now, I had mentioned my coach Lloyd Percival, and he had a radio broadcast on uh, Saturday mornings. My husband used to uh, listen listen to it, and uh, so did an awful lot of other people. And um, it was one of his sponsors, a soft drink company, after, even after all these years, I can't bear to mention the name of which one it is. Wow. Hmm. I, they, was, <laughs> they invited me and I think some other athletes and we were wearing, we were on the team by then. And we had, um, so we had team uniforms on and they took a picture of me. I guess I had a bottle of the stuff in my hand and they asked if they could use it. Now I was very naive. I mean, I was very new to sports, right. even though I was on an international team. And so they said, uh, could we use this? And I thought, no, I'm not getting paid. I'm not saying that I drink this stuff. Um, I, I guess that's okay. Well, it wasn't okay because on the morning of the uh, that last day, two newspapers came out with this as an <gasps> ad. And uh, <gasps> so... <laughs> I was about to become the world's first professional shot putter. <laughs> so I missed that and I missed, uh, I had a good chance of a second medal. So the, the, the press went wild. Um, Mike, I should say, my coach was very, very good. He had never wanted to be anything in life but a coach. And mm -hmm. he studied his, he was self-taught really but he went to different places, different countries and corresponded with people. Technically, he was way ahead of everybody else. Mm -hmm. He also had a rather abrasive personality. <laughs> and when he, had, when he did set up a track club, uh, his um, runners, throwers, jumpers just were much better than the others. So there is jealousy, 
but there was a certain amount in his um, personality. Self-promotion was one of them. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thoroughly disliked by the rest of the, uh, the whole track and field institution. Yes. And uh, so this, uh, about three days later, I was cleared. It was fine. But the uh, press always, um, you know, the sports writers always supported. They him. never forget, right? And so the press just went wild over this. <laughs> yeah. I have some of the, some of the uh, articles in my scrapbooks. Wow. So that was a terrible disappointment. But I think they thought, the sports writers, and I agree, they were getting at Lloyd through me. Oh. But stupid of me, I was, as I said, I was naive. I thought, well, as an amateur, I'm not getting paid. I'm not saying I, but that is something that you are surprised. And that's something that's very difficult to uh, tell people about yeah. from your age and younger. Well, yeah, I can see how, like, you might not think it's, um, it's going to affect you. And like, you have no idea what they're going to do with it. <laughs> right mm -mm. and then and then you know the replications yeah. of what yeah. that means anyhow about three days later i was exonerated you know if they had uh, decided yes i was professional i would never have been able to compete in almost any sport really so you really that's yeah but that's the where's like the sport for the professional athletes there's got to be a place for professional athletes Oh yeah, sure. The guys who played baseball and oh, and the uh, the professional, the hockey players and uh, basketball. Oh yes, oh sure. But they were professionals, and they couldn't compete in the Olympics up to a certain date. Right. And I found that date. You know, I know this is one of the dates I notice note in my book. Uh huh. And professional athletes could compete, and the amateur athlete. This sort of happened gradually. But it was uh -huh. very, very strong. There were huh. it was ruled by a bunch of uh, very, very wealthy white men. Uh, Anyhow, that's, that now. So anyway, that was um, sort of. So that was kind of the end of it, right? Because well, <laughs> then fast forward about twenty years. It takes into the seventies, and uh, yeah. The, um, oh, uh, something, what is it, 12? The um, ruling in the United States uh, uh, that uh, any institutions, educational institutions that received uh, federal funds had to have equal money given to women and men. Really? Back that, then? No, no, no. They're, they're, I'm talking, I think it's the late 60s or into the... I can't, my, at 90, my memory's going. Well, that's I okay. Forget, I can't forget days. <laughs> Toward the end of the 70s, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, this um, ruling meant that uh, women in sports at universities had to have much as much money as the men had. And this was a big thing in the States and in other countries too. I wonder when that changed, because that's obviously well, I, not... I could I could look up... Not, not like right that now, I don't think. Not right at the moment, but uh, that made a huge change. And gradually this sort of uh, all changed. But going back to uh, the um, 19, uh, 
Well, going, I look backward too a bit because uh, I sort of had the idea, oh, things were really bad way, way back then in the early 1900s and uh, they maybe had been getting better. Uh, absolutely wrong because uh, you probably know something about the history of women in cycling. Well, yeah, I'm getting to know more of it. Like I've, yeah. like when I started, um, one of my friends, Sam, you might know her, Sam Warscott, she's, the two of us started going in and getting our uh, coaching certifications, but she, she raced in the eighties and she was one of the only women like mm -hmm. to be racing, like, yeah, uh, regionals I'm thinking, I'm nationals. talking going way back in the yeah, I know. 1800s, the 1890s oh. with the safety bicycle rather than just the high wheel bicycle. And there's a book about a racer from Quebec, a woman in the, I think, 1880s racing in the high wheel bicycle in, in the States. Oh, really? I'll send you, I'll send you a list of books. I mean, you probably Oh, don't you should. And books, you know what? Uh, we will add it to your profile. So anybody who's okay. listening can Perfect. go and uh, do their own reading and uh, see what's out there. Because um, like men Jackie mentioned, she has a book that she's like documented a lot of this. And um and uh, she showed you it's uh, ladies who don't do that. Um, and you can find that on Amazon. But uh, it's, yeah, it would be great to have um, others out there to, to have a read. Well, it's a, in the early 1900s, women were doing a lot in sports. In the 1920s, uh, the uh, 1928 Olympics in uh, Holland, a group of six Canadian women were on the track and field team, and they outscored all the other women teams, and they wow. were just big, big stars. And there was lots of, for a, quite a long time. The 1920s were called the um, golden years of women's sport in Canada because there was so much, and it went downhill from then. <laughs> <laughs> it went down. And if, uh, for wow. my opinion, the 1940s and 50s were the nadir, the lowest point. Really, eh? Because is, it, is that because it was after the Second World War? Partly, it was during the war. Uh, there were weren't as many sports for women and well, men. Yeah, and some didn't continue after and before the war, maybe into it. In Toronto, there had been a women's softball league. And mm -hmm. that were very popular now that this was outdoors. They had bleachers yeah. and they played a lot and they were very popular. And I don't think that continued after the war. And some people, when I was competing in the 50s, told me they who had been one person in particular said in the 1930s, she said it was much better. We had more meets, we had more money to go places. And um, the uh, coaching was for me was when now and then Lloyd could come out and see me in a public park. And the rest mm -hmm. of the time I had to practice by myself in a public mm -hmm. park. And then he quit coaching track and field. I think uh, the problems that, especially when I was pulled out of the, 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 the discus, that was uh, traumatic for him as well as for me. So I yeah. never had a coach after that. I did join a track club, but it was really a track club. And yeah. uh, at least I was a member of a group. Mm -hmm. 
and you can continue your practicing no oh yeah all by my yes by myself for the rest of yeah. the time there was never unless you made a national team although in the 1955 pan am games we had to pay our own way to get down to mexico and there wasn't any now i'll tell you an interesting story there there was no shot put for women i guess ladies didn't do that in mexico but when I was there, I went in to, I'd been doing weight training for a couple of years. I went in to find the weight training place and started doing a, a bit of a workout and I caused a sensation. And then there was a, there's some reporters on hand and he wrote up this marvelous uh, uh, article. And uh, the chapter for that in my book is uh, Lady Surprises, uh, a lady surprises all the strong guys because oh. <laughs> I amazed all the male and only male uh, weight lifters uh, in the place where a lady shouldn't wasn't to be, and yeah. she was doing the same exercises they were. So this was a funny. He said, "Word spread like wildfire, and everybody came running to see this." Oh. <laughs> from there it wasn't and when i i haven't just told you the uh story of how i got the um title for my book lloyd, oh, well i can imagine well <laughs> um lloyd wanted me to train with weights and i said fine called the toronto ymca and said uh, i want to train with weights could i do it there and there was a pause People answered the phone in those days. And she said, do you mean you want to lose weight? Said, no, no, I want to train with weights. Ladies don't do that. So that's where the title came from. And then I, added, uh, I was advised to add something about the Olympics. So that memoir of the Olympian, that's where that came from. And I don't think I was criticized so much as people were surprised I was doing things. And then, of course, yeah. when, I bought, when I bought my Harley Davidson motorcycle when I was 20. <laughs> well, oh my God, look at that. I love it. Picture, there are three things. <laughs> yes. Most, look at the picture. Yeah. Three things that most ladies didn't do in Toronto in the 1950s. <laughs> one was a shot put, one was pumping iron, and mm -hmm. another one was driving a Harley Davidson. So that's sort of <laughs> what I was doing. I love it. I have some good stories about being stopped by the police. I kept getting stopped by the police all the time. Really, eh? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Dad, was that a woman? Well, I would go along, I stopped at a stoplight and didn't wear helmets in those years. Oh. And my hair was quite short. And, you know, if I were wearing a jacket or something and I was tall, uh, people would roll down the window and say, Are you a girl or a boy? <laughs> Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> I'm giving you a, a bit of a flavor of life back in those years. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> that is so cool. So after your um, 1956 Olympics, is that when you went mm -hmm. to university? Or is that when well, you... Well, I had started, no, I finished high school we had five years of high school and quite young i was only 17. 
High school, I was very interested in, uh, I like math, I like physics, and I even did oh, some special, special classes uh, with three boys. Um, and There's another thing that women didn't do, right? Keen, right into <laughs> then I went to, I thought that my math teacher was really great. He would sort of show us in his class where this might lead, that might lead, and, you know, kids that were struggling with math wouldn't enjoy this. I, I, it got to me. So I went and I said to him, you know, I'm thinking I might like to study math at university. And he smiled and he said, I don't think girls should go to university. They're just going to get married. <laughs> I can right, well, what I, university? You by my, these are experiences that I had back then. Yeah. You're like, yeah, okay. So where should I go to university? <laughs> anyway, I, I started, I enrolled in uh, honor science and I don't know, it was just a bad year. I can't explain it. I didn't like anything that I was doing. I um, switched to phys ed and then I tore cartilage. I wasn't going to, I was only going to swim that year, really got serious, but I got dragged back or persuaded to go back to swimming or to uh, basketball, tore a cartilage and that put me out of the, you know, for doing anything for the rest of the year, uh -huh. I got a, for the cartilage removed. And that Kay brought on, in those days, there's no, um, no what they call it, the orthopedic. No physio, no surgery. Or something. They yeah. took the whole thing up and said, oh, it's okay, you won't need it. But, you know, by 35, I was getting arthritic in one knee. Yeah. And uh, it, my choice of uh, sports sort of, uh, well, that cycling, I could always cycle right up the time I had the first um, knee joint replacement and um, the little second knee joint replacement and a couple of other things too. <laughs> so is that when, uh, so did you get, end up getting married and having children? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, 1958. Some lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just come in, I think, or heard something. Lucky God, are you there? I'm just getting ready to go play tennis. Oh, he's, oh, going good. he's 88 and he's still playing tennis. Oh, look at you. Good job. <laughs> yes, that's Bill. Bill Gelly hey, is his name. And wow. uh, yeah, so he was in his last year of university at uh, Toronto. Uh, he'd come from Victoria to go to university and uh, he was on the a regular officer's training plan and not supposed to get married while he was on it. But mm -hmm. um, we decided that, uh, oh, well, we thought his parents was going, were going to come out for his graduation. We got a letter from his mother. No, we're not. And I, we don't think he should get married until after Jackie comes back from the, the 1958 games. And he got very annoyed. So he said, well, let's just get married now. So I think we had to put it off a week or two. Was it two weeks? Something like that. And uh, so we just got married and we thought, well, it's a very small wedding. Nobody will know. But of course, it came out on the sports page. With <laughs> university man. However. Rule breaker. I love <laughs> Anyhow. Oh, so yes. And uh, then uh, he was posted to Ottawa. So I finished my teaching year, I was teaching elementary school and um, uh, went to the 58 games where I got a bronze medal in the shot put. 
Nice. And uh, came back, so moved to Ottawa, and life was just totally different. And I was doing different things in uh, teaching phys ed, for one thing. And uh, they had uh, a whole room full of books, and uh, someone had to create a library. And this was just down, right down my uh, alley, because mm. going way back much farther, I'm jumping around here. I hope that's, oh, that's okay. okay. This is good. Um, uh, things. Uh, well, I looked when I tried to decide how to write this memoir, I decided that I should look at it as learning about myself and doing it mm. an analytically and mm. uh, trying to sort of see if I can pick out people, places, uh, things that, uh, and um, experiences that had an influence on me over my life and uh, influence the things I chose to do and the person I have ended up being. Mm-hmm. And when I was six or seven, some friends were coming up the street with the books in their arms. I said, where did you get the books? I said, oh, the library. What's that? Oh, it's a place you can get books. You have to take them back. Oh, I ran to my mother and said, mommy, mommy, Doris and Barbara have books and there's a library. Can we go there? Well, of course we can go there. And that little library just became terribly important in my life. And I've described it as uh, uh, falling in love with libraries and librarians. So when I got to Ottawa and found I had to organize a library, set up a library, that was marvelous. <laughs> Anyhow, was- then we, we, we started, yes. Uh, by the end of that first year of teaching, I was three months pregnant and had a first child when, um, uh, well, the near the end of... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, 50, 1959. <laughs> well, I may name you for more information. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, so I was, uh, I had gone back and started doing university courses in the evening. And uh, I had an uh, exam coming up on the, uh, tw- on the 19th of December. And on the Monday before I saw the uh, doctor, I said, do you think the baby will come before? Maybe I don't have to study. He said, you can to study. So anyway, I went and I wrote my exam. It was in one of these huge bill, uh, huge um, bill uh, rooms with yeah. uh, people from writing exams from all sorts of places. And um, the exam that was fine and on monday morning i started feeling something happening so he was born exactly the day predicted oh is he you know what i got out of a an, a university exam because i was pregnant i was put on bed rest oh, and right. i had a, a biology well yeah i actually it was halfway through my the ter- the semester unfortunately but then i had to go back and do it again so, I don't know, just getting it over with sounds way better than Well, like... it didn't bother me, but a funny story, a couple, <laughs> two or three weeks later, I went to lunch with a friend who, well, who had re- just retired from that, the school I'd been in. And I talked, told her about this, and she said, you're the one. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I drove a couple of university, Carleton University students to Toronto, and they said, you know, we had this exam, and there was a woman who was very pregnant 
we were afraid she was going to have the baby right then. I said, it didn't bother me in the least. Yeah. Right. Get this over with. No, we're good. No, so, so it was some time. So you're in Ottawa and then that's where you decided to get your bike and oh, well explore. years years and years later yeah you, yeah you probably got the they from what i said we moved and we moved we moved we had a second child in uh, 61 and then yeah. we were moving short times moving 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 here and there finally settled down in ottawa yes and it was my older son said mom why don't you get a bike i see mrs so-and-so and mrs so-and-so on their bikes and it was just <laughs> at the time I guess in the mid seventies or so that yeah. was having a rebirth and coming out of a lot of it coming out from California and the idea of a 10 speed bike. And yeah. uh, this was, so I went to the library as I always did and looked up and decided that, well, oh, what I needed maybe was a three speed, uh, you know, so I got that and, uh, I not very long before I think I changed the handlebars to down. You know, I've been reading saying, and it is a better position when you're. <laughs> and I went out the first uh, time. I heard then I heard about the Ottawa Bicycle Club. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. It's so funny, eh? That's like fifty years ago. No, this was. You said seventy six. When you when you started hearing about when you heard about well, them and you got your bike. Months. No, no, not 76. Um, what are they talking about now? 60, the end of the 60s. I have to stop and think 67. Into the 70s, late, a bit later than that in the 70s. Um, I think I was in cycling overall for about 40 years. Didn't just, just gradually got went down and down. But okay. anyway, I went out, I got dropped on the, before I got out of the city. So I thought, okay, uh, I better start doing some more. I think that still happens in that club. <laughs> I kind of chuckled when you wrote that. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. I think they still happen. Still yeah. Happens to well, a lot I, of people. I borrowed my son's bike, 10 speed bike. And uh, this time they were going farther. And I said, oh, look, I'm not going to go all the way because I hadn't done any distance before. And they mm -hmm. kept saying, oh, you're doing great. Come on, just. So they talked me all the way out to Fitzroy Harbor, 38 kilometers. Well, <laughs> yeah. that, and that was fine. There was a picnic and uh, people gave me something to eat and drink. And when I tried to come back, oh my God, my legs were dead. And a very nice young man pulled me back to Ottawa. I got in at four o'clock, having told my husband I'd be home about noon. <laughs> now that's a bike group. That's a bike group ride right there. <laughs> but expecting guests at six o'clock. <laughs> Anyhow, so then I decided I need a better me and a better bike. So I went out that fall and bought myself a ten-speed bicycle. Ooh. Rode as much as I could. Started riding with the club at the beginning of the next year. And I got up to doing the Rideau Lakes tour that year, which is mm -hmm. 100 at that time, 167 kilometers, Ottawa yeah. to Kingston and then back. So from then on, I had the bike bug. Yes. Yeah. So I know like uh, the OBC was like the one of the probably the only club in town, because when I I started my women's cycling club in 2005, they were still predominantly the only mm -hmm. club in town. 
And I'm like, well, this town is big enough for more than one club, especially if it's only women. And uh, funny enough, I got a lot of OBC women join my club. Oh, yes, I can imagine. <laughs> well, the OBC, they there weren't very many women at all when I first started. Mm -hmm. I often rode with men and I really, first time I'd really pushed myself uh, aerobically because the type of swimming uh, training we had done before it wasn't well it wasn't anything like it when yeah, yeah, yeah. my son started swimming and that's when I got back to swimming mm. and master swimming mm. yeah, you know cycling is a whole different uh, ball game so into that so you got back into cycling but then you moved to you said you went back to Winnipeg oh that's what we were saying you're you moved oh, back well, and forth we, and I, I I was only I only rode two summers with them and then Bill got posted to Winnipeg where we spent three years. Okay. And then yeah. you got back to Ottawa. And back now let's, to Ottawa, yes. Let's talk about the World Masters Games. Now that still happens. And I've I've been actually looking at that myself. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, periodically, every maybe once or twice, every two years or something. <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, that'd be kind of interesting to go out and try. Now let's share about your experience there as a woman how many women were okay well that's interesting participating because, well i was um uh i was back to master swimming doing a lot of swimming at the same time at riding with the bike club too and i was uh planning to go and compete in swimming and then mm -hmm. i uh, did something to my elbow so i switched to cycling <laughs> And, uh, and this was a 50 to 54 age group. And I think there are about 10 people or so. There was myself and the woman who was really the best of all was uh, from Australia, but she had been come from England and apparently had done some racing in England before she mm -hmm. came to Australia. So in the end, I, um, I was first, she was second in both the time trial and the road race. And uh, in the um, criterium, I was first, but because she fell. <laughs> so I don't really feel she would have beaten me. If I... So that's that's the story about, but in the women, I have no, in swimming, I bet there would have been far more because right. swimming was considered a nice sport for girls, women. And uh, uh... there are far more, I, I know, but I don't know. And I don't know how many in track and field. You know, 85 is kind of the start when um, women participated in the Tour de France. Like 84 I, to yes, 89. I, was um, it 89? Yeah, it was 84, I think, to 89. Mm -hmm. um, around that time period. I've, I've interviewed a couple of ladies who participated. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so yeah, so that that uh, that date just rang a bell, and it's funny that you were in there at the World Masters, participating mm -hmm. in time like uh, in road cycling. So, but now you're ninety, and you're you've spent like you put together your memoir, and um, you're I've you mentioned that you're no longer cycling. How does that no. make you feel? Well, I, when I see people, not just sort of casual cyclists, but people who are clipped in and so on, look like serious cyclists, it, there's, a, there's a pang, you know. Yeah, but, no kidding. Yeah. Have oh, you yeah. tried a trike? 
like a three-wheeler pardon have you tried a three-wheeler like a trike no because of the bounce that's not i know it's not the same but it's still a no no that just doesn't that holds no (laughs) it's just not the same thing how about um not a trike but like you know those recumbents um well i suppose that could yeah but i don't know i think uh well, I tell you, one of the things that I got into, the last sport I finally took up when I was 61, turned 62 in the first competition, was rowing. Oh, okay. With the Ottawa Rowing Club. Yeah. And um, from that, I discovered, you know, I got back to the, the gym and saw people doing funny things on the bikes on the gym. So I really made a point of, you know, taking what I'd learned as a rower and uh, doing a lot of research into this. And uh, I have taught quite a few classes on uh, using the uh, rowing machines in the gym. And so if I were doing, if I, I'm, I have a lot of health problems, physical problems, very little energy. Mm, and you're... once I started writing my uh, memoir, I dropped everything else. So I'm starting, I want to get back to doing at least a few things Rowing the rowing machine is one of them because I'm sitting, I'm comfortable, and mm-hmm. uh, I like it. So I think that would be and some good strength training. You can get back to lifting some weights. Well, I I loved weight training. Mm-hmm. I like. I was always strong. I think, especially in the upper body for a woman. Oh, it's and, a swimming. Uh, well, it's swimming I mean, maybe, but. Uh, No, you don't think so? Well, I haven't, I haven't swum at all. We are living in an apartment right now. It's a big apartment complex. There's a swimming pool. Uh, it's about 13 meters long, which is reasonable. Uh, <laughs> Bill, both Bill and I, Bill got into swimming with me for a while. He got into cycling for a while, but he had a couple of nasty falls. And I just thought, I thought, I don't want him cycling or cycling anymore <laughs> but right into tennis for many many years so that's fine yeah <gasps> pickleball everybody's into pickleball uh, i can't stand i'm uncomfortable standing being on my feet being upright oh okay being a walker, but even with a walker i don't go very far and you know 90 everything's just falling apart oh but it don't don't accept that jackie i can't believe <laughs> you're accepting not, that i'm not to. can't you're believe you're accepting right. that after you're all of this right, <laughs> you have like pushed the the envelope from the start like you cannot give up and accept that <laughs> well okay if i don't order, believe that <laughs> you order me not to give up I'll don't give up i need encouragement <laughs> you are way too vibrant for your age to do that. But among the other things that I got interested in and going back to elementary school was on home economics. We went to another school with sewing. And the second year oh, I did it, fun. I bought, I made a dirndl skirt, something I could wear. Oh. And it's just really, I um, persuaded my parents to give me a little singer sewing machine for my 14th birthday. And I just took off. I sewed most of my own things and later got into quilting in a big thing, big way. Mm-hmm. Ended up yeah. teaching quilting classes. So oh my God, cool. Another big interest over my lifetime. 
And uh, something that I didn't like or wasn't interested in high school was French, the way it was taught. But later, as I got to traveling and I could use a little bit of my high school French, that was sort of different. So, you know, I, by the time I had to really choose what was my subject of concentration at Carleton University, um, I had uh, was feeling differently. I had um, before the 1957 games in Moscow, I'd gone, I had a six month leave of absence to travel around Europe. And I hitchhiking around Italy. I got on the road in Italy with my thumb out thinking, oh my God, oh. I'm standing here with my thumb <laughs> out hitchhiking in a country where I don't know the language. So <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> well, it turned out marvelously because I started to, people may be talking to me, and I started picking out root words and I started mm -hmm. understanding a lot. And this was a revelation to me compared to uh, classes, French classes in high school. So anyway, I came back sort of with that. And uh, then we were living in uh, close to Vanier in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I started to become aware of the French language and culture. And I thought, well, no, I think, you know, if I go back to math, I sort of lost that interest. And uh, it, um, but if I learn, if I improve my French, I'm going to be able to talk to more people and be more mm -hmm. interested. So I opted for French literature. Oh, good. And I need then, to get back into my French. I lost a lot of it through COVID. Your name is French. I know. I thank my dad all the time. I've gotten okay. jobs because of it. I know, sure. but seriously, my French used to be way yeah. better before COVID. And then... Yeah. Well, it, it, I'm, I'm sort of the same. I did a couple of... Um, uh, on COVID, a couple mm -hmm. of different things. One was a French-English thing. It was supposed to be half in French, half in English, but mm -hmm. there weren't enough Francophones. So often we were speaking French with another Anglophone. And another one, well, later on, I started on Spanish. <coughs> so there was Spanish conversation, Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I had okay. a couple of different Spanish conversation groups before. So that, that was all good. But yeah. when we were in Montreal, I had previously done a, a program at Ottawa U, which uh, gave me a specialist in teaching English as a second language and a B.Ed., which I didn't have because I'd gone to normal school before <laughs> I started teaching. And uh, I so I and I discovered linguistics mm. as a topic, as a subject. And before we went to Montreal, I thought, well, I'd like to bring up my French a bit, I haven't been using it. So I enrolled in two courses in linguistics in French at, the Ottawa, at Ottawa U. Oh, and yeah. Ottawa I would so. like to do the same thing when I got to Montreal. So I went up to Université de Montréal mm -hmm. and uh, to ask what courses might be. And a very nice lady said, well, come and sit down and talk to me. Tell me what you've done before. And I told her what I've been doing. She said, why don't you do a master's degree? I said, well, at my age, I was late 50s, and oh, my French isn't good enough. And she said, oh, your French sounds pretty good. And, and, oh, well, you know, I'm not that serious. It just sort of, and so anyway, she gave me all the material, and I took it away. It took me many months, and it sort of grew in my head, and I thought, why not? Why so not? I enrolled in a um, program for our master's in linguistics. And I had oh my to do God. Quite, quite a few makeup courses, 
poor drug mm -hmm. before because I didn't have enough of those basic courses. Yeah. So it was uh, uh, a, a challenge. <laughs> French, if they checked me for French, I guess because I had done a couple of French courses in uh, at Ottawa U in. Uh, or I've done a couple of linguistic courses in French at Ottawa U with good marks. They probably thought, oh, you know, French is good. But uh, yeah. it was a struggle, a real struggle, but I finally did it. Well, how long did it take you? Well, I guess I spent two years at the university. And the first year they wanted me to do five of the makeup courses. I did a sixth one because it was a course that interested me. Wow. And, uh, there were only three, so that was the first year. Uh, the second mm. year, there were only three courses, um, post-grad courses. And, uh, but I had to do the, uh, decide what I was going to do it about, and I did mm -hmm. it. It was a study of Anglophone students at the University of Montreal. Their background, how they had learned French, and would they, was it, they had to define themselves as an Anglophone. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them were uh, allophones, that is the first language, maybe Italian or something else. Right. And what was their background? I expected I would get all sorts of people who had been in French immersion. There were some, but not very many. And the uh, answer is, why did you choose to uh, do this in your uh, second or maybe third language? Now, in a couple of cases, um, they, it was because what they wanted wasn't given at um, McGill Cardio. Mm. But in other cases, it was sort of the same as me. They wanted to see if, well, for me, I thought of all the immigrants I had taught and how yeah. difficult it was for them, what they had mm. to do to come to a different country. Well, Quebec may not be in Provence comme les autres, but it is uh, not a foreign Country. Yes. Um, but, you know, if they had to learn the language and integrate and so on, and uh, if they could do it, I wonder if I could do it. Oh, well, that's without saying. But, but it was difficult. Yeah. So you mentioned, and we're going to close it up, but you mentioned that you were on a walker. Now, I just want to share with you, Jackie, and I'm going to send something to you after, but... Um, I am a huge advocate for um, an, the walking bikes. Have you ever heard of them? The A-Linker walking bikes? Oh, going back practically a century or so before they put pedals on it so you could use your feet with pedals. Well, it's kind of like that. Yeah, I guess so. But I, I'm so I've done a couple podcast uh, episodes with ladies locally who mm -hmm. have used them, uh, do classes with them. Um, and they're way better than walkers for you. Um, but I'm just going to close up there for now because I'm going to share something. I'm going to share a couple um, links with you later. But I just want to say that um, it has been absolutely a pleasure. Don't forget, everybody, hold up your book again, uh, Jackie there, um, to go on Amazon and check out her book, Ladies Don't Do That. Um, you can get the soft copy. You can, I think the Kindle version is there saw, too. Yeah. Well, you can get a, you can download, you can download in, from. Uh, yes, free. In, yeah. Freezing. Period. Freezingpress.com. 
yeah and i'll put that link in there as well and so just to go back and and have a read and like we mentioned that there's other books out there too that showcase women in sport and sounds like they were doing quite well until i took a nosedive at some point um in history like you said uh, i think it was in the 50s that well, things it changed. was the 30s it was going going down from the 20s the 20s oh okay there we go the 20s yeah. used to be called a long time ago used to be called the golden age of sport for women in canada oh we need to bring that back but I want to thank you so much for reaching out and being a guest on the podcast. So I hope everybody took some really good information away and you enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to follow us. And Jackie, is there somewhere where people can follow you? Are you on um, Facebook or Instagram? Well, Facebook. Facebook. I saw you Facebook. I signed into Twitter ages ago, but I've never used it. <laughs> I, just, I, mean, I mean to start using it, but at the moment, just Facebook. Yeah, Facebook and, and I have, also I have, actually I have two uh, profiles on. One is just me, and I don't I rarely post. And anything. then the one about your book, right? And there's one about the book, and I'm yes. not doing much right now because, as I say, I'm this working on the second edition, which will. Oh, be that's going to be exciting. So well, and also to oh sorry, go ahead. Also to. Oh, is this and also to follow the podcast on YouTube and Instagram? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, when will it be on YouTube? Uh, it will be shortly in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> make sure everybody tunes in there. And thank you so much. And have an amazing day to everyone. Thanks a lot, Jackie. It was well, a pleasure. It's been a delight speaking to you, Sylvie, and knowing you a bit. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review, if you feel so moved, by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment, telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.